Hello, everyone. So let's start with the sitting. Fundamentally, this practice is really simple. There's not a lot to do. It's much more about the openness and receptivity to be with what's here, what's already here. And relaxing, really supportive to support that. So remembering relaxation. Sometimes when I've been sitting a long retreat, many weeks, even in the middle of the retreat, I sometimes find a kind of attention in the practice and it can be useful sometimes to just take some time to be aware while relaxing. Just let that be a, a settling that's a fine way to be, even for a whole sitting. And so allowing a relaxation of body. And maybe inside the body, there can also be a softening and a relaxing. Maybe the inside of the throat can relax. The heart. The stomach and the intestines. Maybe all of those soft inner organs can let go. And maybe the mind can relax. And with this, whatever relaxation is available, are you aware? Just that simple connecting with awareness. Maybe it's just a gentle turning towards already aware
the simplicity of this practice of just recognizing that you're aware and what's happening, what is obvious. Again, not a lot to do to find anything in particular, just receiving. Sometimes this stance of simplicity is asking us to trust Trust, first of all, that the processes of body and mind know how to be aware and to receive experience. What an amazing thing this human system is. It doesn't require an active doing to notice. Our system is designed to be present and aware. Some of what we trust is getting out of the way, getting out of the way of these natural processes of awareness, recognizing what's here. And then also a trust that it's valuable to do this. First, we may need to borrow the confidence or borrow the wisdom of others that it is valuable to simply sit and witness experience. It doesn't actually take long for us to begin to see the value of it, but sometimes we can doubt that. Much as there are these natural processes of being aware and knowing what's happening. There's also a natural process of learning. Our systems are also designed to learn grow, understand, and that learning happens on the basis of what's experienced. With this simple practice of curiosity about the human experience, 
learning happens about what our minds do, how they do it, how they get caught. And it can take some trust to let that process of learning happen rather than needing to feel like I'm in charge of that learning process. Often what is learned isn't happening in our own preferences, perhaps. But much as the naturalist sits down, is just available to learn from what's ar- arriving in the forest at this moment. The naturalist comes with an agenda to learn about something in particular. They might miss something else. Something really important. And so trusting aware of what curious about what's here curious about what is obvious Curious about what's naturally here to be seen. And trusting the natural process of understanding and learning that happens. simple practice. Are you aware? What is obvious? What's happening right here? right now.
so this the practice what we do is really simple just aware noticing what's here occasionally checking the relationship checking the attitude the perspective of this simple investigation is that of curiosity of what is this human experience there are different ways that we can be aware be interested a thief for instance going through a house might be very aware interested in being very quiet very aware but the purpose behind that is not what does it feel like to be a human being walking in this house the purpose behind it is how can i be so quiet so that i'm not caught and that i can get the things that i want so the perspective the that we bring to the simple awareness is not one that has a self-interested perspective but one that has a curious perspective of what is this human experience the buddha's question seemed to be something like what is this suffering that humans experience and is it possible to be free of it and he sat down and looked at his mind it takes a simple mind a simple kind of curiosity of just like well let's see what's happening in there let's hold aside our ideas and views and opinions about what's happening and look what's actually happening so what we do see with this simple practice is really complex the workings of the human mind not a simple thing we sit down and we start opening to the what's going on you know the simple practice of now well, let me just see what's happening in here and we see there's this big mess happening lots of thoughts lots of push pull around things thoughts conditioning emotions emotions conditioning body sensations it's mind-blowing what we see and yet it's a simple mind that can see it so sometimes with this practice in particular um, you know with some some forms of meditation practice we are simplifying experience to cultivate the mindfulness we are looking at just the breath really keeping the experience simple as simple as possible anything not the breath it's like oh we'll just let that go and come back to the breath and so some meditation practices start in that way you simplify the experience to cultivate the mindfulness this practice actually starts with the whole show opening to the whole show and so 
It's not simple what is seen. The practice is simple. But what's revealed is kind of awe-inspiring. And so if you happen to be sitting and noticing, wow, there's a lot of thoughts going on in there, notice that you're noticing that. Or, wow, it seems like there's a big confusing mess happening in there. Notice that you're noticing that. So this, this morning, um, I talked a little bit about some of the different processes at work, you know, what's actually happening in here. That's the kind of in- investigation of the curiosity. You know, what's actually happening in this moment? What are these body sensations? How does the mind respond to that? How does it recognize those body sensations and what, you know, what happens when, the, when it recognizes those body sensations? So just seeing seeing all of this unfold. The Buddha's teachings have different kind of flavors in some ways. Some of his teachings are about being mindful, you know, the practice. Some of his teachings point directly to being aware, aware while breathing in, aware while breathing out, aware when one of the, you know, one of the, um, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddhist instructions on being mindful, um, there's just an encouragement to just notice what's happening in the moment. When pleasant experience is arising, the Buddha says, one notices that pleasant experience is arising. When greed is arising in the mind, one notices greed is arising in the mind. When greed is not arising in the mind, one notices greed is not arising in the mind. So the instructions are really simple. I just notice what's here and a kind of a curiosity, a non-judgmental stance, the stance of the naturalist. Oh, the greed creature is arising right now. The greed creature is not arising right now. The Satipatthana Sutta in that in, that, uh, in those instructions, the instructions don't say something like, when one notes, notices, and I'll use aversion right now, what, you know, aversion is arising. When, when aversion is arising, one knows aversion is arising. It doesn't say when aversion is arising, one tries to figure out how to get rid of it. It says one knows aversion is arising. So the instructions for being aware are simple. So that's one set of things the Buddha talks about. Another set of things the Buddha talks about is the workings of the mind. These teachings are pretty complex teachings on the five, the five aggregates, the five processes of body and mind and how they interrelate the teaching of how suffering comes to be, the process of dependent origination, process by which um, sensations condition feeling, condition craving, condition clinging, condition identification and suffering. This is is essentially, these teachings are a description 
of what can be noticed when we just open to the simplicity of our experience. This morning, talking about um, the, the, the session earlier, the talking about um, how the experience is conditioned. I mentioned particularly that piece that from the uh, description of how suffering comes to be, body sensation, with the, uh, when body sensation arises, feeling arises with it, all experience, either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And out of that, there's the habit. We tend to like what's pleasant, want to get more of it. We, we lean to it. We crave that. We want to get it. We, we, when we have it, we want to control it. Something unpleasant, we don't like it. We don't want it. We want to get rid of it. This process, seeing this process at work, the mind, the simple mind begins to understand I said this earlier, the simple mind begins to understand that the suffering that arises in that process is largely being constructed by the mind. And so seeing that, this curiosity of just like, well, what's here? Oh, there's aversion arising in the mind. This is the experience when aversion arises is in the mind. One understands that is suffering. That experience of aversion arising in the mind is suffering. And that is actually, I think I mentioned this when I talked about anger. You know, what a surprise it was to me to recognize that when there's anger arising in this experience, in this being, that it was hurting here. That this being was suffering. And that was the learning that allowed a shift to happen over the next weeks and months as I kept observing it. The wisdom that grew from that, not that I made happen, but the wisdom, the learning that grew from that is this, uh, this picking up of the anger. It's like that's when the suffering starts in this being. When I pick up the anger and start kind of running with it, that's painful here and now. That had not been seen because of the delusion masking the experience of anger here. The delusion was involved in the idea that that anger was going to make somebody else feel miserable. So missing the suffering here. So when we open to experience, what's actually happening here and now? Aversions arising. What's that experience like as a human being? Not involved in all the views and ideas about aversion and what it's going to do for me, but knowing aversion is painful. That's how the wisdom grows. That's how the shifts happen. So that process the Buddha described around how suffering comes to be within in, uh, that conditioned process in relationship to feeling and then the response to feeling pleasant, we like it, we want it, we crave it, there's greed. Unpleasant, we don't like it, we don't want it, there's aversion. There's another process that, that's described, 
And, and I'm kind of in awe, you know, the, the, what the Buddha saw and that he was able to articulate it so clearly. You know, part of the process of the way this Dharma understanding and practice works, most of us, I'd say, the vast majority of us, the Buddha was a rare exception. Most of us need to hear something about how the mind works and gets caught in order to be able to see it. In order to be able to slip under our delusions, we have to have the delusions named first and then kind of go, huh, gee, really? Okay, let me check. And then we can start to see how those delusions work. The Buddha, one of the rare beings who had the capacity somehow to sit down without ever having heard these teachings, just a mind of kind of just curiosity, let's see what's here. See if there can be an understanding with this curiosity around how does suffering work? That was his question. How does suffering work? And he was able to see these processes in his own mind. Most of us need to have it described, need to have a little bit of understanding, need to have the confidence of our teachers that, yes, this can be understood, to even be willing to step into it, because it is so painful at times to see the stuff going on in there. That first time when I sat down and turned to look at anger really for the first time to see what is it like to be a human being that feels angry. It's like, wow, that doesn't feel good. If I hadn't had somebody that I trusted, a friend who gave me the book that said, this stuff works, you know, try this. I don't know that I would have trusted being with that pain as a way through it. And it does take a particular kind or way of being with that pain to, to uh, move, to have that transformation happen. This wise mindfulness, the perspective of just simple curiosity. What is this experience of a human being feeling this struggle? So another pattern that the Buddha described conditioned pattern has to do with um, recognizing experience. So one of the processes or patterns that naturally happens in our minds, one of the things the Buddha kind of discovered or found, he articulates these different processes that happen, one of them, the body, one of them, the feeling, the feeling, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Another of them is the process by which we recognize what's in the world. We kind of divided our experience up into five different categories of processes. These are three of them, the body, feeling, and this recognizing process, the process of perception, recognizing what's out there. So with every sense experience, it comes into experience and there's a feeling to it. It's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. 
the feeling isn't recognizing what it is. It's just knowing it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. But then there's a recognition of what this experience is. We'll recognize that it's a body sensation or that it's a sight or a sound. And the recognition goes further than that. We recognize in the field of seeing, for instance, we, uh, we look around and we see chairs and lamps and walls and books and floors and doors and windows. That seeing of those objects, that recognizing what's out there, the Buddha put as, you know, named the process of perception. And it's uh, something that happens, a, a process that the teachings point to is that we tend to conflate or confuse or mix up the direct experience of what's actually happening with the perception of the experience. So it's, it's very natural. I mean, that when we perceive things going on, actually what our eyes are taking in, you know, to, to keep this in the realm of seeing, what our eyes are taking in is form and color. That's the bare experience. When we see the objects in the room, that's the mind processing that form and color and creating the familiar patterns. There's a kind of a memory from past experience of what chairs are, what floors are, what walls are. And we learn these various objects. Now, this is a natural process. It's a human process. It's really useful. It helps us to navigate the world, to walk across a room without running into things. But we don't usually recognize that this is a separate process from seeing, from just the bare kind of seeing. And what we tend to do is to relate to experience through the concept rather than the direct experience. And this is where some more suffering tends to come in. Because in connection with our perception, what, what, what we recognize, and, and you know, I'm going to just keep it simple and silly at this point, but, you know, we recognize a chair. And, um, you know, that itself can just, it's just a thought. It's just the kind of like, just the recognition that's a chair. And, um, and yet, we don't just notice it's a chair, even in that simple way of, oh, that's just a chair. We, we might have ideas about chairs, what kind of chairs we like, what kind of chairs we think would look good in our room, what kind of chairs are better for my body. And so along with the perception of chair comes a whole bunch of views and ideas and beliefs. Now we can translate that into recognizing people. We see a person. We don't just see the person as the person. We see them and then we have a whole bunch of ideas and views and beliefs about who they are, what kind of person they, they might be 
what kind of things they do. So there's a, and then we tend to not relate to somebody through what's actually happening, but through all of our ideas and views and beliefs about who they are. Those beliefs and views and ideas are a huge place of shaping our response to the world. And so very much one big place of suffering has to do with not seeing how much of our interaction with the world is coming not through just simply being with the world as it is, but being with the world through our views and ideas and beliefs about what's here. I think it was Anais Nin that said, famously said, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We see the world through our views and beliefs and ideas and those shape what we actually see. So the Buddha pointed to this as being a key place of suffering. This this cycle that's described is really in the area of delusion. When there are beliefs, views, and ideas that are connected with what we're recognizing in the world, and we're not seeing that we are relating to experience through the views and beliefs and ideas, that is delusion. Now, we don't have to stop having views and beliefs and ideas. But what is important is that we recognize that that's happening so that there's an opportunity to have some wisdom that might um, recognize, are these views true in the first place? Sometimes I've seen in looking at my own mind, watching the views that are coming up, you know, especially views about myself. It's like, these views do not bear out. There's not reality to these views. It's just some belief or idea in the mind that it's used to thinking. When I actually look at experience, this doesn't even seem true. And yet... Even seeing that sometimes, even recognizing, yeah, you know, rationally, I don't believe this view that's here. Rationally, it doesn't make any sense. But deeply underneath, there's still somehow a believing that that is true about me. I'm a failure. I'm no good. You know, rationally, I can see this this has no bearing in what's actually happening here. But underneath, somewhere very deeply, it's still believed. And so we don't have to try to get rid of the belief. But it's very useful to recognize that beliefs are happening. So the suffering that comes from these views and ideas and beliefs that are not seen there's a lot of suffering that happens in our own personal lives, in our own way our own mind relates to ourselves that makes ourselves suffer. But also this is a way that, you know, when we have views and beliefs and ideas about who other people are, 
what they're capable of, what we think they're going to do, how we think they have treated us. This is where there's a feedback loop, not just internally in my own system, but between myself and others, this feedback loop. And we can say this is not an exaggeration, that this is where all of the ills of the world come from. Wars start through views and beliefs and ideas. And some particular group having a little more power, perhaps, than another group. Able to say, I like my ideas and views, beliefs better, so let's get rid of those and ideas and views and beliefs. Let's find a way to do that. So that this is, the seeing of this is not just about opening to our own suffering internally, but also about not contributing that delusion to the world. Maybe even helping the world to see through some of its delusion. So these patterns in the mind, the attitudes that we check into, greed, aversion, delusion. Greed, that obvious. Greed and aversion are much easier to see, much more clear. Kind of know the feeling of leaning towards, of holding on, of not liking and wanting to push away. Those are easier to see in a way. But those themselves are founded on delusion. Greed and aversion happen because there's an underlying delusion. The underlying delusion connected to greed is something like having pleasant things is what is going to make me happy. The underlying belief or delusion embedded in aversion is association with unpleasant things makes me unhappy. Getting rid of unpleasant things will make me happy. It's a view about what will make us happy. That's a very human view. It's connected very much to our evolution, our biology, in many ways. And yet as human beings, we have some choice and some certain, certain creatures in the animal realm don't have a lot of choice around how they engage with the world. It's, it's more hardwired. In our system, there's these little windows of being able to see the habit of moving towards pleasant and thinking that's going to make me happy. The habit of moving away from unpleasant and thinking that's going to make me happy. And I think the, 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 the piece the Buddha saw in his own mind was, wow, if I don't follow that, it is possible to have a deeper kind of happiness a peace, an ease that's possible. 
when that delusion around having something pleasant falls away, one has a deeper kind of well-being. There's a deeper kind of ease and peace that comes with the alignment of the changing nature of pleasant and unpleasant, that it's just coming and going, it's natural. That we don't have to grab on to pleasant, push away unpleasant. That there will just be this process. There's a deeper kind of, of happiness that comes with that. This is not obvious. I really think it takes someone with the mind of the Buddha to see this. It's hard to trust. Again, hearing from teachers or reading the teachings and seeing a little bit in your own mind. It doesn't actually take that long for myself, you know, seeing the anger and seeing, wow, when, when that anger arises, you know, it's like it, I, the mind thinks that getting rid of that thing is going to make me happy. But right before, you know, just in the anger arising, I'm already miserable. I'm willing, you know, the system, the delusion is willing to forego ease, non-suffering in this present moment for the hope that in some future moment we'll, ha- we'll, we'll be free of suffering. But when we see that happening, when the, the wisdom sees that, the, the wisdom goes, hey, this doesn't make any sense and begins to let go. But it's, it is the delusion that's underlying those, the views that is really the sticky part, not seeing those views. So there's three basic human delusions the Buddha identifies. And I won't get into these in detail, but I'll just name them right now. We tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. We tend to attribute lastingness, even if it's not forever lastingness, we tend to attribute some kind of lasting quality to experience. That's why we think that having something pleasant will make us happy because we're attributing some kind of permanence to that pleasantness. But when we actually look at what's going on, it's like the pleasant experience comes and goes. Somebody, I think uh, one, one teacher said it was a, a student that used this analogy of rope burn, you know, trying to hold on to something that's pleasant. The suffering that happens with that is like rope burn because you know, the, the, the rope is slipping out of your hand and you're trying to hold on to something that is inherently not possible to hold on to. And the suffering is like the rope burn as you're trying to hold on to a rope that's slipping through your hand. So we tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is just a changing set of things to be uh, stable. And related to that, because we think things are stable, more stable than they actually are, we tend to take experience to be reliable as a place for happiness when it is not at all reliable. We hang our hats on 
thinking that I can, I can control the environment and I can make myself happy. And then everything changes and we somehow feel like, well, what did I do wrong? And it's like, you didn't do anything wrong. It's the nature of things to change. So we berate ourselves for not being able to control the uncontrollable. And this is the pointing to this last piece that we tend to take what is not self to be self. We tend to attribute some ability to control things, some sense of I, me, and mine. When that sense of self, there is a sense of self. It's not that that doesn't happen. It's a phenomenon that happens. But it is a phenomenon. It's not a thing. It too is a process. It's just this ever-changing sense. And when we start to be curious about what is it that I think of as I or me, it's pretty hard to find. In fact, it's not findable. Not that we can land on it. We can, we can see a process unfolding. Again, it's not a mistake that we can't find it. Early on, when I had first a kind of insight into this and understanding that there wasn't anything here, like I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there was some deep flaw that I didn't have some core or essence that I could say, that's who I am. And I didn't know what to do with that. I thought I was inherently flawed. It was a problem. It was a number of years before I met the teachings of the Buddha. And that pointed me to, no, that's not a flaw. That's the way it is. There is no essence. That's truth. Again, this is hard to see. So some of what I've been talking about now, you know, some of this is the complexity that is seen with the simple awareness. It's not useful, and both Anna and I have been saying this, it's not useful to go digging, to try to see all of this. It's helpful to hear about it. As I said, you know, if I hadn't heard about this, you know, that, that teaching on not-self, for instance, that, that coreless, non-essence You know, I thought for years there was something fundamentally wrong with me. I didn't understand that that seeing was seeing something true. I didn't know how to relate to it. So the teachings of the Buddha describe an incredible complexity. But the complexity and the freedom that happens as we see that, as we we witness it, the freedom that happens is not our doing, digging, trying to see all of this, trying to parse it all apart, usually ends up with a very tight mind and a lot of headaches and stress. And Oh, it's so painful. I have spent so many hours trying to do that. I hope to give you some not going there. You'll probably go there. It's very human to go there, to try to figure this all out. It's very human. But maybe having heard, you know, 
that's suffering that comes from that, you know, that's because of the greed of wanting to figure it out. That's just another, another thing, another attitude. And yet, you know, so, so sometimes you might think, well, why talk about this? And it is because, you know, so, so you can think about the, the dis- description of what, how the mind works as sometimes describe it as like dharma rain it is you know it is just like just let it come in it will just like soak into the soil nourish the plants and the 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 nourishment of the dharma rain will be taken up by the roots of the plants it will be taken up naturally as we observe and so you don't have to try to see all of this or figure it out. Sometimes just being with what's obvious, whatever is obvious, there is the Dharma in that. And it, it might just be, you know, just seeing, oh, there's this thing and I don't like it, or this thing in this big mess of confusion. Okay, well, that's what's, that's what's seeable. That's what that's what's available. Trying to kind of pull through that mess of confusion, figure it all out. That that may some of the pieces of that may begin to reveal themselves as we set as we settle back. Sometimes with those big messes, I think of just like holding it with soft, wide arms. It's like, yeah, that big mess, that's what's happening. What can I see in that big mess right now? What's here? Feels just like a big mess. And then just sitting with it, every now and then one little piece of that big mess kind of maybe, it's like it feels like this big tangled ball of like knotted yarn. And every now and then some particular thread of yarn kind of like pops up and it's like, oh, that part of it, oh, that becomes clear. But not by trying to dig, just through the soft, gentle, okay, what's here, what's obvious? And then the learning happens, the wisdom happens, the growth of understanding happens. So this does take patience. You know, we don't get to decide when the learning happens and how it happens and what we get to learn, much as the naturalist, as I said earlier. The naturalist doesn't get to pick which animals come out and how they come out. The naturalist doesn't get to pick whether there's a huge thunderstorm and get to see, you know, you know, maybe you don't get to see a lot about what the creatures are doing in the thunderstorm, but you get to find out what happens after the thunderstorm. So just that willingness to be with what's here. So let's take our break. So coming back at 10 minutes after the hour. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.